Do I'm it. just a happy, you know, I'm on Joe Biden mode. If we don't soda. <laughs> Sorry about him. <laughs> this is not a beer. It's a water. It's not a beer, you guys. I think some beer got into Ben's. Wow. I can't believe you're drinking beer at nine in the morning. Jesus <laughs> yeah, Christ. It's just scary water can. A scary boy. Yeah. You've never liquid heard of liquid death? death? No. Wow. Thank you, though. You're so consumed by Bitcoin that you... Uh, you you haven't noticed that this is a powerhouse. Of I a... drink liquid energy, which is Bitcoin, digital liquid. <laughs> Wait, what the fuck? <laughs> Wait, what? Is there a Bitcoin energy drink? No, but there should be. You should create it. All right, I'll. No, I'll no, no we're gonna do it. It was our idea. <laughs> uh, any ideas we come up with on the show are ours. We own it, and uh, you'll hear from our lawyers if we see a Bitcoin energy drink. I also apologize if I burp in your ear at all. Just don't I, try, I know I'm trying. I'm going to try not to. Uh, that's my There's big no thing. That I gotta try. There, there? There's no carbonation in here, but it doesn't matter. Oh. I still get burpy even when I just drink regular old water because I inhale air. All right. He'll be, he'll be fine. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Wait, have we started? Yeah. Why don't, oh, why don't we introduce our, our guest today? Go We've ahead. We've got um, Natalie Brunel, the host of Coin Stories, a Bitcoin educator. She's here. To educate us on Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, because we are a couple certified uneducated dipshits. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the um a lot of our audience and uh commenters like to call me um a no coin pussy, which is I Oh, don't... you're a no coiner. Wow. Yeah, let's get you just a little closer to the uh <laughs> sure. microphone. Sorry. Okay, so I thought you were gonna say you're not a no coin pussy, but you just confirmed <laughs> that I am a no coiner. Yeah. Oh, I'm sad. Well she didn't call you the word. No, no, no. But... You are, certainly. Not me, though. I have a whole Bitcoin. I have a feeling- You do? You're a whole coiner. Yeah, it's oh, not wow. a big deal. Yeah. Actually, I just sold 0.7 of it Why? over 24000 because I had a nice little profit, and I wanted to buy this other token that I heard. See, this is what happens to me. I get fucking sucked in, and then I'm already down like 15% on it. It's this energy something token. Have you heard of this thing? No, I, I'm really, I'm not into the other tokens. Okay, so. that's good. Yeah. We will get into that. She thinks you're an Bitcoiner. idiot. That's true. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> even dumber than me. I used, who has not. like, a lot of Bitcoiners started down that journey where they bought Bitcoin, but they also bought the other cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And they're like, oh, one of these, you know, might take off. And then slowly but surely you go down the rabbit hole and you realize that you really only need Bitcoin and yeah, wait. So that's a great. Can we can we hear how you got? Can we talk about your Bitcoin journey? How did you yeah. get? Uh... Wait. We have to do some janitorial stuff first. What? Hi, Glenn. Oh, geez. and I I'm a trader, a licensed trader. Okay. So we have a compliance department at the firm that I trade at. Please check the disclaimer. It's in the description box. You can click the little see more thing. Also, you know, like, comment, subscribe, all that shit. Anyway. Seems like something we could have added in post, but because <laughs> we kind of okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. 
Could you please tell us about your Bitcoin journey, how you got started with it? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I first heard about Bitcoin in 2017. I was working as a local news reporter in Sacramento, California, covering the state capitol and breaking news and investigative stories. Uh, but I had friends who lived in San Francisco. Because um, if you know anything about Sacramento, it's kind of a quieter city. Um, and so a lot of people go to San Francisco for the weekends, which is what I did. I had a group of friends out there. And they were talking about crypto. They were they had accounts on uh, Coinbase. One of them, I don't know if you heard of Mt. Gox, but it was this oh, yeah. exchange that you know people lost all of their Bitcoin. So one of the guys actually lost his Bitcoin on Mt. Gox. Oh, and how much? Uh, Ten Bitcoin. Whoa. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> that was over half a million dollars at one point. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I just, I became curious and I felt like, you know, all of them worked in tech. And, and so I thought, oh, this, this is like the new thing, you know, and Silicon Valley seems to always be on the cutting edge of what's, what's next. And so I thought I was essentially investing in like early Facebook or early Uber or whatnot. I, I didn't understand it. I thought it was a stock. Um, I wish that I had taken the time to stop and really educate myself then because it was like three, $4,000 when I first heard about it. And I, and I had a good, I was always a saver. So I had a good chunk I kind of put in there at the time. But that being said, I did buy some. I was curious enough that I bought. I was like, I'll just see what happens with this. It'll probably go to zero. It could probably be hacked because it's digital. Um, and then it wasn't until two years later that I had a mentor that was constantly pushing me to read this book called The Bitcoin Standard. It's by Saifedina Moose, who is brilliant. He's an economist and has an engineering background. And he's just um, he basically goes over the history of money. It's kind of a misnomer title. I thought it was a computer programming or computer science book. It's actually a book about the history of money, the history of our financial system, and how Bitcoin kind of fixes some of the problems that have been created by our fiat system. So uh, I read it. I was like, oh my gosh, this, this changed my whole perspective on the stories that I had been reporting on, on my own family's background, because I, uh, I, my family was kind of a victim of the great financial crisis of 08, 09, lost, lost our house, everything. And I finally was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I learn about this in school. Why didn't I learn about what money printing is and the history of the Federal Reserve? And so I just dug deeper, 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 started a podcast. And like now my whole life is Bitcoin. Wow. <laughs> I uh, those I find that stuff interesting. The the fiat, the history of fiat kind of mm -hmm. stuff. But those money guys the you know what type I'm talking about, the like fiat currency guys are such an interesting flavor of guy because I was in New York a couple of years ago. Is this the Russian bathhouse story? Yes, I was in a Russian bathhouse with my roommate. And we're in this sauna. And I'm talking to him about, I, I think we were talking about crypto. And this guy from like in the shadows just goes, do you even know the history of fiat currency? <laughs> and just <laughs> proceeds to tell the entire sauna, unprovoked, just un nobody asked him. He spent like 20 minutes talking about how by design, the dollar was meant to just go down in value over the years. And it's funny because those guys, like, you hear it and it makes sense. But at the same time, he's a kook. And you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I believe what you're saying. But it is true. I mean, the, the printing of, oh, man, it makes me want to get into, like, the whole Bitcoin as a, an inflation hedge. But we'll, we'll put a pin in that. So you were uh, real fast. <laughs> I'm curious. What were the what was the uh, uh, news station you were? I was at the NBC affiliate up there. Ah, cool. Mm -hmm. What were the call letters? 
KCRA. KCRA. Yeah. Can you do, did you have like a, I'm Natalie Bruno, yeah. this is KCRA. Yeah, what was your thing? It was like Channel 3, so KCRA News Channel, I think it was Channel 3, News Channel 3. Do you miss it at all? Uh, being a reporter? Yeah. Uh, well, I feel like I'm doing the best part of the job. I get to interview people and learn, sure. but I don't get to cover all the tragedy. I, I feel like my job is way more positive now. I feel like I, I have more hope for the future, and I'm talking about something that can make hopefully things better and, and level the playing field economically for people. So I'm I'm a lot more fulfilled now than when I was covering you know mass shootings and fires and natural disasters and all of it. Yeah. You're also on the news all the time anyway. Yes. Fox, <laughs> a very you're on different Fox capacity. business all the time. Yes. How's that? Is that cool? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i so grateful that they would call me and ask for my perspective on Bitcoin and, and what's happening with our economy. We got to get on there, man. We got to get on Fox <laughs> business. Um, we're waiting for a call. Let, let them know we're available. If you, oh, they're uh, available. Yeah, please. Talk to them. They're available. Um, <laughs> wait, so, but can I ask uh, what your kind of... <clears throat> you know, what your belief in Bitcoin is exactly. I think, uh, you know, one of the most confusing things is that Bitcoin seems to be different things to different people. So some mm -hmm. people are like, oh, it's a, it's a new currency. Some people are like, oh, no, it's just an underlying technology or it's, a, you know, an inflation it's, hedge. it's an inflation hedge. It's digital gold. Yeah. And, you know, or it's just a speculative asset that I wanted to make some money off of. Like, you know, yeah. it seems like that's how you were treating like it. Like me, yeah. Or is it something else entirely to you? Yeah, no, I don't treat it like a trader. I see this as literally the future of money. I see it primarily for myself right now as a store of value. But I think as far as a medium of exchange where it's a it's a settle, global settlement network where you can send value from one part of the world to another at almost no cost, lightning speed, especially with the secondary layer, I think that's incredible. I think it's going to mm -hmm. be transformative for um, for billions of people around, around the world who don't have access to things like the S&P 500, um, but they do have access to maybe a phone and an internet connection. So I just think that Bitcoin um, could really solve a lot of the problems that have been created by a broken money system. Um, and so for me, I think I was predisposed to appreciating Bitcoin because my family came to the US to pursue the American dream. They never wanted anything crazy. They just wanted to be part of the middle class. They wanted to be able to afford you know, a house for their kids, education, and a retirement, maybe one vacation a year. Where from? Um, Poland. Ah. Yeah, Eastern Europe mm -hmm. and no, no, no. Okay, but. nobody's perfect. We we normally don't just say <laughs> Jew to people, so that's just for the future. <laughs> I am, so I can ask that. So no, you, I was I was raised Catholic. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's yeah. how that's how Ben talks to women at bars. He walks up to them and says, "Jew." Oh, uh, uh, you got me there, pal. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but so, you know, and it's it's interesting because a lot of people from Eastern Europe can really appreciate something like Bitcoin because many of them grew up under communism, like my parents. And so the idea that you can have something that can't be confiscated by the government and something where you have total um, sovereignty and, and freedom over it, that's really powerful. So, yeah, my family came here and worked really, really hard. And I think that there's this pattern, especially with immigrants, where you save in cash or you save in, in gold, you say you try to save in some, something like sure. hard money, but you don't. My, my family never invested in stocks. Um, and growing up in school, they don't teach you how to like invest in the stock market and, you know, the, to try to get a property as soon as you can so you can become, you know, a real estate investor. I just, I just feel like financial literacy is really lacking. And uh, just as they had finally kind of achieved the American dream when I was in high school, we, we were able to purchase a house, of course, get a mortgage. 
Um, and then I went off to college and the financial crisis hit and my parents lost everything overnight. So everything that they had just worked for was like gone poof. Um, and so I think for me, that time in my life was just this this giant question mark, this seed planted in the back of my head of like, how could this happen? Like my parents played by all the rules. They pay, paid their taxes. They worked sometimes two jobs just to afford, um, you know, to achieve like a modest version of the American dream and they could just lose it overnight. But like all these guys in Wall Street get bailed out and nobody loses their job in Washington or or at, at these big banks. And so I just kind of felt like, wow, this system's kind of rigged. And this is supposed to be the country of opportunity, the country of freedom, the country where you can, you know, the American dream espouses the idea that you can come from any background. And if you work hard and you're innovative and you persevere and you're a good person, you can achieve whatever you want. And I just felt like, that idea was sort of starting to lose hope. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, I set off on 10 years as a reporter where I'm covering poverty increasing, homelessness, uh, you know, public corruption, all these things kind of manifesting within society on a micro level. And again, a lot of it related to money and the cost of living and people in my generation, millennials, feeling like they can't get by because they graduated into a recession and then can't catch up financially, can't afford a house, can't afford to pay off their loans. And so when I discovered Bitcoin, it was really this like aha moment when I finally learned about it of like, oh, the reason why I've been reporting on all these problems, the reason that my family went through what they went through is because our financial system is so rigged against the the average working person here in this country after decades. Uh, like it's just it's for it's it's a country where money kind of pools at the top and doesn't trickle down. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people end up getting frustrated. And it eventually, as you debase the currency more, leads to these populist movements, which I see now politically yeah. and I've covered politically as well. So can we talk about the because um, <clears throat> I feel like crypto people are very good at pointing out all the problems with our current system mm -hmm. and they're not wrong. Right. It's full of. Oh, it's we right. love to hate it. Right. Well, no, we don't. It's horrible. We hate to hate it. Sure. Yeah, you're right. And it <laughs> um, sounds like everything so, that you're talking, sorry, it sounds like everything that you're talking, just real fast, everything you're talking about is in the spirit of the creation of Bitcoin itself, yes, like yes. the white paper. Go ahead. Cor correct. Right. So I'm with you on all that. But then can we talk practically about how Bitcoin starts to fix those things? Like when you talk about mm -hmm. your family specifically, like mm -hmm. how how can Bitcoin help them? actually achieve the American dream in a way that works for them? Well, I just think it's about acquiring an asset that has a fixed supply that no one can ever manipulate or expand. Um, and so for me, the two most important aspects about Bitcoin are its scarcity, the fact that you can't just print more of it when you want to or when you come into power. And the second is this idea of decentralization, which provides really the security for the network and makes it essentially a protocol akin to the internet where it empowers any, you could be anyone in any part of the world and have access to it, which I think is really, really incredible. So just okay. So with those two things, mm -hmm. just because I'm trying to get it, I want to become. You want to be. A I, I'm tired of being a <laughs> no coin pussy. A, a loser. Yeah. I'm I'm sick of it. People yeah. spit on me on the street. They call me names, but so, <clears throat> um. So you know you're talking about mm -hmm. buying into this uh this asset, because mm -hmm. I don't see that right. I want to believe, but I don't see that right. Especially you know with the latest crash, we're mm -hmm. seeing that like. Um, you know, people of color, people of lower income were more exposed to the losses and everything. You know, they got in later. I think people of color um, owned 
disproportionately more Bitcoin than, you know, say white people. Um, so it seems like, you know, because it sounds like a lot of them, you know, have been left behind by the traditional mm-hmm. financial system that we've built already. Right. And no one can argue against that. And so, you know, they don't want it to happen again. Right. And now people are they're they're being invited in by the crypto community. Like we need more and more people to buy into this. And now the crash hits and they're left mm-hmm. out in the dust. So, you know, how does that fix the, you know, the problems you're talking about? Sure. So I have two things to say on that because I'm really I'm really passionate about the fact that Bitcoin does provide this sense of financial inclusion. And personally, I want to see more average people getting in as opposed to, you know, the big institutions. Once they come in, they can buy up a ton, right? And right. I think that that will happen down the road. So I think it's more important to educate the average working person who really needs to start accumulating a hard asset that, again, can't be inflated and expanded. Um, so what I'll say is two things. First of all, you have to look at a long time horizon with Bitcoin. It's not something that you buy, in my opinion, to trade unless there are traders out there that can profit on, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, they work the, the the volatility. But for the average person, it's really about getting getting into a pattern of saving again. Like our country is so far in debt as a government, but also consumers are so far in debt with credit cards, mortgages, school loans. This is really about putting your money in a place where hopefully 10 years from now, it will have gone up in value due to its fixed supply and the fact that more and more people are adopting it as a technology network. So you can't judge Bitcoin by short-term volatility. And I personally have said, I would rather have an asset that is in the short term, very volatile, as mm-hmm. opposed to, um, but going up over the long haul, as opposed to the dollar, which is really stable, but crashing in terms of purchasing power, especially as they dil- dilute the supply with more money printing. So um, so first of all, there's that. Like You have to kind of zoom out and make sure that you're thinking about this as a long-term investment. And going along with that, you know- Wait, but just, just to be yeah. clear, it's not necessarily like this new system, it's this- it's a speculative asset that like you want to buy into and hold on to long term and hope it goes up. I mean, I don't believe that it's a speculative asset. I believe it's a store of value. But okay. if if, if but I'm, so, there are people that speculate on it, I'm sure. But so part of the um you know, part of the way for, you know, lower income people to get mm-hmm. into the middle class through Bitcoin is to get in and hold and mm-hmm. hope that and it hold. is worth a lot more. Yeah, because here's the thing too. We are in a bear market, but everything tanked. I mean, if you own stocks, some of them did far worse than Bitcoin. Um, If you own- wasn't part of the value of it that you're like, you know, we're de-pegged from, we're we're not pegged to that. We're our our own thing. Yeah, I think that Bitcoin will eventually uncouple, but it has been really correlated. So as money printing expands, as equities go up, Bitcoin has been very very correlated. And we have to be honest with that because Bitcoin has really only existed in a QE, a quantitative easing environment since it was born in the last financial crisis. So it's benefited from, you know, liquidity in the markets overall. But I do think that in the future, it's going to decouple. And when you zoom out and you see the the performance of the asset over the long term, you see that it has outperformed every stock index, a lot of the big uh, tech, you know, stocks that people invest in, like the Teslas, the Facebooks, the, the Amazons, uh, it's outperformed the precious metals, it's outperformed many of the commodities over the the long time horizon. And so again, it's like, it's not something that you invest in and then a year from now you want to pull it out to buy a house. This is like your four, five, 10 year savings technology. Uh, so and that's really now, how I see it. Pull it and, out in 10 and years. Hold. Yes. That's how, that's how I see it. Like I, what I put into Bitcoin and I dollar cost average, I see that as 
what I'm accumulating for my future, for my family, for my future kids. Like it's not something that I plan to sell in the next one to four years. Okay. So this system seems very simple. Put in money now. Yeah. Set it and forget it. And then get out in yeah. 10 years. Time in the market, okay, not I, timing the market. I thought there was more of this like global financial system we're changing. It's May I? Uh, two things. What was attractive to me when I, what really finally changed it for me was actually an interview with Michael Saylor. Yes. It wasn't with you. I, I don't remember where it was, but, and it really fucks me up that I didn't consider this sooner, but the limited supply. Mm -hmm. There's 21? 21 million Bitcoins 21 million, and it's all, all there will ever be. And there's like a million that have been lost or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's what got me. Sorry, I need to put on the, uh, <laughs> I need to protect my man here, pussy. <laughs> All right, shut up for a minute. Um, the fact that there are only, yeah, like let's just call it 20 million Bitcoin. Sure. And the fact that it is exposed uh, or that the whole world has a chance to buy into this shit. Yes. Um, that's what got me is is just the scarcity alone mm -hmm. almost and it's kind of fucked up because it's like the scarcity alone is kind of what gives it value mm -hmm. but then also i think what what a, if correct me if i'm wrong here but it seems like what you're saying is not necessarily to cash out at a later date but just that that will be its own purchasing thing mm -hmm. like you will use 0. 0.0001 bitcoin to buy Satoshi's. a, yeah, come yeah, on, a Satoshi's. car or something yeah and it's not necessarily like I'm going to hold it now to convert it back to dollars. Sure, you might be able to or you might need to or whatever. But I, it sounds like the hope is that eventually the technology will continue to advance. Mm -hmm. The uh, the acceptance in society and culture will advance in such a way that it'll be as ubiquitous as using a credit card. Correct. Okay, yeah, so and I really all, do believe that. <clears throat> what about all the people who don't get in now and they get in 10 years from now and all their money is kind of worth way less than everybody's case. that's the that's what sucks well see I, well, I i view it very differently and i i think that having a, a money that has a finite fixed supply is actually one of the things that could create a more egalitarian society because again if you have a fixed supply and the people at the top of the the you know we we i mean we live in a society where there's people at the top right making financial decisions and many of the many of them are not elected like the federal reserve we're not electing these guys uh, but yet they sit and they decide what the interest rates are going to be and and you know how much bonds are going to be purchased and so it really manipulates and distorts everything because the people who have the first access to the capital are the people at the top the big corporations the people who are already wealthy the people closest to the money printer, that's the Cantillon effect. But if you have a fixed supply where just at the drop of a hat, you, you can, you know, you wouldn't be able to expand it. Well, Bitcoin has to be sold because people have to be productive and function within society and goods and services have to be exchanged. So so the Bitcoin will eventually spread out to more and more people. And and because Bitcoin is in in, in, in infinitively divisible, infinitely divisible, you can have 100 million Satoshis in a Bitcoin. That means that I think that there could be a future where people are just transacting in Satoshis and Bitcoin, like as one coin is rarely transacted. And I mean, infinity divided by 21 million is something that we say in the, in the, in the Bitcoin community, because, you know, I, I if, if a Bitcoin is worth a ton, you know, let's say it's worth like a million. 
Well, let's say it's worth even more than that. Let's say the whole yeah. world goes on the Dream Bitcoin big. standard. <laughs> you know, what if it's worth a billion dollars? No one's going to be transacting a billion dollars in Bitcoin. They'll be transacting in be. Satoshis. Maybe. Isn't it? So one of my, I had to take it off because now I'm the skeptic. Laser, that was, those were laser eyes, by the way, that he was, he that, didn't yeah, explain it. I was fully, yeah, I had <laughs> to protect that's a, Laser I mean, eyes to 100K. <clears throat> that's kind of an interesting point about it too. It's this, you know, thing that is kind of marketed as this, inclusive thing but there's also this um kind of exclusive culture to it where there's inside jokes online there, and there are a lot of memes yeah and and you know the whole goal is to get more and more people in and but you know i have no idea what the hell they're talking about sometimes and i pay attention like sometimes they're just like all in on no seed oils and i'm like what is going on in bitcoin land there are a lot of sub cultures within bitcoin and one of them is carnivore no seed oils yes yeah jesus so it's a very um yeah it's a very weird culture um i think it's i think it's actually really incredible and and um it sparks a lot of curiosity and, and knowledge gathering because one of the reasons why there's a movement in that is when you study fiat in the history of money, you see how much it's corrupted our uh, food industry and our nutrition, especially in the U.S., where we have such high rates of obesity and heart disease and and uh, diabetes and all of it. And then you link it back to how our food has been transformed by where money has pooled within corporations and what incentives have been created by Washington and some of these government agencies. And then you're like, oh, my God, we've been eating so unhealthy. Look at, say, look at a picture of a beach in the 1970s. Everybody's skinny and people were still eating like at McDonald's and stuff. But the fries were made in tallow instead of seed oils. And like there's all these little things you learn about, which I think are sometimes cool. hearing you guys talk, I think I'm like, oh, you guys just don't like capitalism. No, we love, that's what we want is capitalism. Okay. But like, we don't have capitalism in our country anymore. That's like what this whole movement is actually about. What do we have in this country? Crony capitalism or creditism. Mm. I actually said this on my Fox hit yesterday. I was talking about the fact that um, there was an article that the anchor mentioned uh, that was linking the the Nixon decision to close the gold window and decouple us from the gold standard in 1971, the anniversary just passed on August 15th, to the rise of cryptocurrencies decades later. And I agreed with him. And we talk about that moment a lot because it was when that, that tie was severed where our money was actually backed by something where you could at one point we had banknotes that said this is you could exchange this for a certain amount of gold. All of a sudden, it turned into this money printing bonanza and what I refer to and what some books refer to as creditism, where basically you're just constantly expanding the money supply, going further and further into debt. And that leads to a lot of immediate growth and prosperity, right? Because if you print a bunch of money to create whatever it is, pay for programs, uh, finance different projects, you appear there's this illusion of wealth and it's kind of like a drug addict getting high. But once it starts to wear off, you need to print more in order to service that debt. And then it turns into this spiral. And we're in a debt spiral right now where we're creating ever more debt just to sustain product. And we're not really producing anymore in this country. We've shipped off all of our manufacturing. We've exported a lot of our dollars. And so like, we have an, a huge issue right now where we don't have a money that is backed by anything but debt. Wait, wait. So I, <clears throat> I want to ask about that because I've, I've heard you say that before. And- I, you, you, I'm, I'm with you. You know, we don't make anything. We ship off everything. How does Bitcoin? Can we talk about that practically? Like, how does Bitcoin get us back to producing in America, if at all? Well, so I believe that if people have cap, so capitalism is about accumulating capital and savings. It's not about going into debt. Right now, we have a system where we just go into debt. We're all consumers. 
and we're all basically in a lot of the richest people probably have negative balances, right? Because they take out so much debt and then they purchase things, but they're, yeah. So it's just revolving credit. It's this credit spiral. Well, how do you pay off that debt? We can't get it from from tax dollars because we don't have enough of a tax base. So we have to get it from somewhere. So we just create more debt. So the idea of Bitcoin is a system based on savings and accumulation of a hard asset as opposed to debt. Like Bitcoin's not a debt system. It's not a credit system. But so, so how does that the, fix those things of, you know, shipping off all our jobs and well, producing here? I would argue that if people were able to work jobs where they could afford to live, then you would have more economic productivity, more opportunity. And I think this is going to happen globally. I don't know if there's a way to save necessarily the, unless the U.S. I think adopts the Bitcoin standard before everywhere else and like accumulates a bunch of Bitcoin. I don't know if we can maintain the superiority of being the global superpower that we, that we have enjoyed the prerogative of for so long. I guess but I'm I just... think for the average person, being able to accumulate something that will go up in value will be beneficial to be able to plan for your future and afford the things that you okay. want to. So we're not necessarily talking about like bringing jobs back to the country. We're talking about just yeah. again, investing in something that will be worth more later. Exactly. So if you, so if okay. you invest in something that's so going to be worth later, jobs here. I no, I, th- I think that it's going to be based, we're going to have an economy that is going to be based on something that can't be manipulated, can't be expanded. So you are judged by essentially the innovation, the goods and services that you provide, your actual labor, and then what you make will go up in value as opposed to decreasing in purchasing power. I mean, at the end of the day, right now, people are working harder and harder for less and less. It's like the road to serfdom. People are going to their jobs and everything's getting more and more expensive around them because of our system of money printing, which makes asset bubbles, right? Within real estate, within equities, people can't afford it. Young people are growing up. They can't afford to like get into the system. They feel left behind. I think a lot of them are looking at crypto as an equalizer. So now we have this fixed supply, a hard asset in digital format where you can transmit one Bitcoin to from the US to Singapore within you know a couple seconds at no no right. money. That's, I mean, <clears throat> how is that not incredibly empowering for being able to achieve wealth and achieve kind of a, a sense of, you know, opportunity? One thing that I am concerned about, <clears throat> excuse me, is, uh, I know when you say manipulation, you mean like the digital asset itself. But my concern has been the the Elon Musks, the people, the whales who can just dump a ton of of their supply on the market and then cause, you know, flash crashes. That's the shit that still because I was a victim of that. I had a fuck ton of Litecoin years ago. And Charlie, what's his name? Charlie Lee tweeted just. At like 9 a.m., I sold all my Litecoin. I think that it's overvalued and that's it. (laughs) And it caused it to drop like 60% in an hour. And I was taking a shower, jerking off or something. And I come back and where'd all my fucking money go? Because he, yeah, and I tweeted him and I was like, cool, man. Thanks so much for, you know, saying what you thought. But I feel like that's at once, it's a pro and a con where- because it's so decentralized and because there's no governing body and because there's no SEC to like keep that kind of shit in check, it's like you 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 live by the sword, you die by the sword kind of thing. Is that what I'm looking for? I don't know. Where it's like it's great, but then also there is that other side to it that can be really fucking tragic. So I'm wondering what you think are some of the pitfalls of Bitcoin. 
Well, just to respond to that, though, um, you're right. A big whale right now can move the market, but that's because Bitcoin is so tiny when it comes to the overall supply of assets in this world, right. which, you know, there's equities, there's real estate, there's gold has a $10 trillion market cap. It's, mm -hmm. And so if we just even take a chunk of gold, that would mean Bitcoin rises significantly in value. But because it's so young, it's going through that monetization process and it's going to be very volatile because big whales can move the market. Right. Again, if you look at it as a long-term investment where you put it in and you're not worried about what it, what it is in the short term, you're worried about what it's going to be in four, five, 10 years, then those short-term, you know, Know, drops like right now we're having should actually excite you in the sense that you can accumulate more than you could have you know a couple weeks or a couple months ago right um, so I would say the drawbacks are just we are very very early and there's going to be a lot of volatility there's going to be more bear markets I see a future where we eventually ascend to six figures maybe we get to 200,000 and we crash down to a hundred thousand I mean how like ugh. Intense will that be, right? It'd be, it's, it'd be pretty intense for my point people, three Bitcoin, man. especially for the people who bought in at two hundred. Yeah, that's the well, that's the thing. It's like God. it's volatile. Yeah, it's yeah. early. It's early. Um, so I think that people again, I I'm not someone who can make a judgment call on what a family, an average family in, in the U.S. or anywhere in the world, what their risk tolerance is. For me, it's like if you think that there's a 1% chance that Bitcoin could survive, that it could be this savings technology because of its decentralization, its scarcity, then put 1% of your portfolio in it. If you think I there's like a 5% chance, put 5% yeah. in it. Like I went from almost nothing to 5% to 10% to 50% to over 50%. Like I am... I am all in on this thing because I believe in it so much. So do you buy Bitcoin like daily? Every day. We, every day? Yeah, I have a every day I dollar cost average. Jesus Christ. Why not do like weekly or something? Um, because actually I've read that when you um, average it out over the year, people who dollar cost average every day, a smaller amount that they would have maybe, you know, added together and done on a Saturday or Sunday or whatever, yeah. um, you actually end up getting a, a lower price at the end of the year, a lower dollar cost average price. Interesting. What brokerage do you use? Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin? Yeah. Never heard of it. You wouldn't. You wouldn't know it. <laughs> Shut up, dude. <laughs> I use uh, Coinbase Pro and then I transferred um, I transferred it all offline. Uh, there on you go, ledger. Swan. Yeah. Oh, Swan. You can head to swan.com slash Natalie Brunel and get $10 oh, in Bitcoin. Oh, my <laughs> God. Here. No, but I actually bank there. I do. I, oh, you I, do? I actually bank there. Yeah, I oh, really cool. I really do. I like it because it's Bitcoin only, so you can't get any other coin on there. Ah. And they can store it for you, or you can withdraw it to cold storage, which I do. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, Mr. Elon Musk, because mm -hmm. you've tweeted about him before. <laughs> like what? So, Because to me, he's a shithead to try to make himself the main character of yet another thing like Bitcoin. <laughs> and now he's like Mr. Bitcoin. And now he can move markets with a single tweet. Maybe not so much anymore because, uh, yeah, the, the days of Doge and, and whatnot has kind of faded. But, mm -hmm. yeah, what are your thoughts? I guess it kind of dovetails into what we were just talking about with the, the whales, mm -hmm. which is a drawback. But I get what you're saying, that over time, the hope is that it'll be dispersed Yes. Among yes. amongst more people. But like uh, I'm just Ben, did you have a question? Or I don't know. I'm talk? just kinda talking okay. it out. Sure? I'm trying to figure it out. Um, uh, so I mean, can we talk about ahead. the whales a little bit? Because yeah. the whole um yeah. <clears throat> decentralization thing is yeah. uh, one of its biggest draws, right? But isn't it isn't Bitcoin um 
even more uh, controlled by big investors than, you know, traditional financial systems? So again, I would argue that it's it's moving us more toward an egalitarian society, even though currently right, it right, is. Well, right now, big whales can move the market, right? So there are, there are few people that have a ton of Bitcoin. But here's the thing: when you look at the fiat, like um, how much wh- where money is dispersed within fiat, our current system. You can create more, right? And the people at the top are the ones creating it. So at, at one point, if they wanna if they wanna finance a project, they just create more money. It doesn't trickle down to everybody else. But if you have a fixed supply, no one at the top, the billionaire, can't just like Wait, make more Bitcoin. To create right? Trickle down economics. We already well, did that. Well, but here's the thing. Think about this. So let's say let's say you have a fixed supply, you have 21 million Bitcoin. Then you have the dollar system, which is an infinite supply. In Bitcoin, let's say the billionaires have whatever, a million, one guy has a million Bitcoin. In order to finance something, in order to buy something he wants, in order to start a project, start a company, he's going to have to sell his Bitcoin because he can't just create it out of nowhere. Mm. Whereas in our current system, governments can literally just print money and give it, they can pick winners and losers and choose the things that they want to finance. And so that trickles to the people that are closest to them, which is the Cantillon effect. And it it creates more and more wealth concentration, whereas Bitcoin arguably over time, and we actually see the data, is becoming more and more decentralized in terms of ownership as well. So in my opinion, down the road, it will be more and more decentralized in terms of ownership egalitarian in terms of like opportunity because everyone is going to be transacting hopefully in one asset that's backed by computer science and math so i just have to hope it trickles down from the whales a little bit yeah you gotta hope that the whales eventually sell some well they'll they'll have to if they need food if they need someone to clean their yacht if they need to take a vacation if they you know what i mean like it's just again like a fixed supply i think i think we're scared of the word deflation because we've we haven't had a system that allows for deflation and technology there's a great author in the space i highly recommend everyone read the book the price of tomorrow by jeff booth it's not even a bitcoin book it's just literally about how we have two systems that are converging right now we have technology which which is taking over and we're going to have more technological advancements ai computers taking over jobs which is inherently deflationary things are becoming cheaper and cheaper cheaper over time but because of our system of money printing and how how much the government intervenes with money we have assets that keep ballooning we have real estate that has to keep going up and up and a stock market that keeps going up those worlds can't they, they don't ma- match like at some point we are going to turn into basically a society where it's like this many people at the top everybody else is poor and we have communism or marxism like it doesn't okay. work long term um so if uh can you explain so you're talking about it being split up into satoshis and everything right how is that different than money printing if we can just constantly split because it's not it's it's essentially like a hundred a hundred dollar bill is worth 100 us one dollar bills so it's like sure. uh, so that's you're not you're not creating more bitcoin you're just one bitcoin equals 100 million satoshi yeah you're not a hundred you're not million. expanding the supply yeah. at all you're oh, just dividing it. it's infinitely change. divisible it's never going to change the, the supply amount of satoshis is the amount of bitcoin and so the amount of satoshis i mean you can just divide small i mean i don't know if they're going to create a less than one satoshi what like half a but, satoshi will have a name i don't know but, but like right now but wouldn't there be a situation where we would need it to split even further if this is our currency possibly but like but that would mean again you're taking a dollar and that's two four quarters or two quarters for right, but a, if a dollar's now worth 50 cents because we need more than them you're not creating more, though. Yeah, but you're, you're just, just dividing. I think you're what you're trying dividing. to say is like you're... if Bitcoin eventually gets to a billion, 
one Satoshi might, at the lowest, lowest level, might be worth yeah. $10. Yeah. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Oh. I'm saying if you have to split it even further mm-hmm. to accommodate it being used as a currency, yeah. it's worth less. You're devaluing it. No, you're, you're no. not devaluing. You're just dividing. You're, just, you're literally just taking a division of it. It's a fraction of, of a coin. Okay. Maybe I, I know. I think I, I think I know what you're saying. Like, let's say if I, <clears throat> if I want to transact, if I want to buy a candy bar, yeah, the value of Bitcoin is too high. Right. The lowest right. denomination would be ten dollars, say. Right. That is an issue, but so then that uh, begs the question: Who is in charge of this shit? Like, who? When when they talk about like the Bitcoin fork and um, it's all code, man. Yeah, but like, is there who runs the Bitcoin Foundation that makes these decisions? So there is. That's what's great about it. There is no Bitcoin Foundation. Your your question is akin to who's in charge of the internet. Like who's in charge of the internet? Who's in charge of well, the, the internet? The Chinese government can completely block people from accessing things. Right, and and so in China you can shut it down, but like, does that mean that the internet around the world goes down? No, you know. And so as long as you have an internet connection you or a satellite because they have satellites that are now mining bitcoin um you you the the network is operating in the same way that the internet does there's no ceo there's no headquarters there's no country there's no nationality there's no board of governors there's no there is no governance it's rules without rulers it's amazing wouldn't but it be is, cool if you found out we were satoshi and we were like that would after be, this that would like, be so cool. you did a good job you get to go to bitcoin heaven, <laughs> <laughs> bitcoin heaven? <laughs> well isn't that amazing too how like you you don't have someone that you can look to for anything. I think it's I think there's so much providence in the fact that the creator disappeared and doesn't exist. I don't think he, it is cool. Really? I think it's tight. Think it's, it's mysterious. Great. We're 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 asking everyone to join into this thing where some guy was like, I don't know, just trust me. I don't maybe I don't even exist. And it's like you don't have to trust him. That's what's great. You don't trust anybody. It's a trustless system. It's just math and code, and it's it's open source for Wait, everyone. But to see. so who? When they talk about working on the Bitcoin fork, is it just a bunch of nerds like on GitHub coordinating? Like who who is implementing st- changes? So there are core developers. Right. There are people who are programming, but they have to per, like uh, suggest changes and then there has to be a consensus. So all of the miners basically have to agree to something. So there are updates that constantly happen, but there's never been a time where Bitcoin, the network, has been hacked. There's never been a time where it's been compromised. I mean, it's truly, over the 13 years, it has, it has operated perfectly, even in very hectic times like a country completely mining and shutting down half of the hash rate. And block by block, every 10 minutes, Bitcoin does what it does. It's just incredible. So like when, if I own a stock and there's a vote, a proxy vote for, you know, a split, say, I automatically, my broker gets the, um, I get the information sent to me and I'm asked to vote. Is there any kind of governing body that does that with the miners? Like who coordinates that? When like, if someone suggests a change, who... Who disseminates the, hey, here's what we're voting on. Hey, all miners, like we need mm-hmm. to get together. Well, so it's a distributed ledger. So everything is broadcast simultaneously. And I'm not a mining expert because I don't do computer science myself. So I'm not the best person to ask about that specific area of like working on developments, like the tarot update and things like that. Um, you guys should bring an expert on for that. But what it is, is essentially like it, it's a network that broadcasts across the whole world. We have nodes. We have about 10,000 nodes, I think, around the world that are completely decentralized in all these different countries. And so the changes are happening 
simultaneously everywhere. Everyone can see the updated blockchain. Everyone has a copy of it that they're running on, on if they have a node. And so those changes are proposed and in real time, decisions can be made. That's so. the shit that hurts me and confuses me. And and it- It, it, it gets really complicated, yeah. yeah. And it intimidates, that's even though I have some, so I have some just speculative and mm-hmm. just in case you guys are right, I'm like, I might as well have some just cause yeah. you never fucking know. Cause I've been wrong this whole time. Yeah. I remember when it first came out and it was like 20 bucks and I thought, oh, this is stupid. Right. And then when it was a hundred dollars, I thought, fuck. Well, this is still stupid. And then you see some jerk off from high school, bought a Ferrari, and you're like, you motherfucker. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there is something to be said for the fact that it does keep making a higher low, and it's Mm -hmm. like the floor is Mm -hmm. moving ever higher. But um, there's one thing on here that that I wanted to talk about. So like when when you say that the government can't seize it, it's like true, but not because like the Canadian government, didn't they seize some of the trucker convoys Bitcoin? So here, that's an important point because Bitcoin, the network is a trustless system, right? And so if you take custody of your Bitcoin, I can have it on a cold storage wallet, which is essentially like a hard drive if you're not familiar with cold storage. And no one has access to that. The only person that has access to that is whoever has the keys. So mm-hmm. hopefully that might be me, maybe a family member. But the government doesn't have access to that. What the government is trying to do, which should scare people, especially in a world where they, they're they going to move towards central bank digital currencies, is the fact that they can basically tell a bank, hey, freeze this person's account. And so, so an exchange is essentially an online bank. It's a third party. You are trusting them with your Bitcoin. You're introducing a third party and trust into the mix. And if they have a relationship with the government, there's a potential that you might not be able to access your Bitcoin. And so again, that's why there's this really big movement within Bitcoin and crypto at large to just take self-custody and become your own bank and become sovereign over your assets. So buy it with, so where those truckers fucked up is keeping their Bitcoin in a bank and not moving it to cold storage like I did. Or on an exchange, right? Yeah. Yeah. And well, and then the like crypto Mount exchanges Goss. are trying to fight that, you know, because they they don't they don't want the government to be involved in that way. But for sure, there's going to be battles ahead. And I, I do think that more countries will do a central bank digital currency like China is. Yeah. And again, it's going to make Bitcoin look really good because that's going to be money that the government can't program and just take away from you. How do you reconcile um, like a lot of Bitcoin bulls? Like there's this one guy that I my the guy, the acid dealer guy. Um, who sold me acid? Um, could have gathered his money. <laughs> <laughs> he gets really excited whenever there's like institutions that are partaking and getting involved, mm-hmm. but that seems to be at odds with the spirit of like the the libertarian heart of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how you reconcile that of like having big institutions like BlackRock or JP Morgan sort of validate it and participate in it, but it's also, those are the very institutions that you're sort of rebelling against. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a great point. I see both sides. So on the one hand, that's why I mentioned, I wanna get get the average person, the retail investor, educated about this so that they start allocating and dollar cost averaging and getting Satoshis. Uh, But at the same time, you know, these big institutions, they legitimize things. They allow for on-ramps. They make it so that people do take this space seriously. And we've had amazing CEOs like Michael Saylor come in and actually become 
fantastic spokespeople for what this is and the potential of it. So, you know, on the one hand, it's good for more adoption. On the other hand, you're absolutely right. You know, Bitcoin is about like the average working person having a shot and, and you know, kind of debanking the bank. Like we, it's, it, we have this saying, right? You're, you're banking the unbanked. But also people say like keeping people unbanked, like get the banks out of it because they have too much power and they're just like married to Washington. But so, are you banking the unbanked? Like, because you, you said you can't really use it as your everyday currency, right? It's too volatile and everything like that. So you, if you put your money in it, it's really just this thing you're parking for 10 years and hoping things go well. Well, it's both. I mean, I've visited some countries and in the emerging and developing world, uh, Bitcoin actually has been used more as a medium of exchange. And there are some incredible stories out there. Uh, like I recently went to the Oslo Freedom Forum where people come in from all these different countries. Many of them are dissidents. They have faced uh, terrible situations, even imprisonment um, due to oppressive government authoritarianism. And they've used Bitcoin as a human rights tool and, and the ability to escape. In Afghanistan, I interviewed a woman on my podcast, Roya Maboub, who was one of the first female tech CEOs in Afghanistan. She's been paying women in Bitcoin since about 2013. A lot wow. of them have been able to save, you know, accumulate real wealth for their families. Some of them have been able to escape really horrible marriages because in Afghanistan, you can't have a bank account as a woman without a male's like permission and oversight. Um, and so it's allowed for financial freedom for many women there that she's worked with. And she helped people escape when the Taliban took over. People were transacting in Bitcoin because there was a run on the banks. People couldn't access their money, but they used Bitcoin in order to get a ride to, to get out of the country. Um, the same thing has been happening in Ukraine. I met some amazing people who are working with refugees and they can't carry a bunch of gold bullion across the border, but they can take their Bitcoin because it's a seed phrase, a password in your head or a small cold storage wallet. And people have been able to escape Ukraine using Bitcoin or get help, get a financial aid through Bitcoin. So those kinds of stories are incredible because it's being used in real time as a medium of exchange and as something to exchange and transact value anywhere in the world um, quickly and efficiently without the eyes of the government or a middleman being involved. And I think that that will increase the more that adoption increases. Yeah, I think that's a great part of it. I mean, um, you know, there's so much middlemanning in sending money and stuff. It's so expensive. Yeah. And so I think it's great for that. Um, and it's like there's there there are a lot of pros and cons to this. The, the, the cons being the volatility in the short term, the cons being that it inescapably feels like a like a pyramid scheme kind of. <laughs> um, and then it doesn't help that you've got all the shysters and the altcoins, the thousands. But she doesn't do any up. of the altcoins. Right. But it's still it's part of the crypto community. And I feel like do you like what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like it taints it? It does harm. Uh, you know, I just see Bitcoin so different from crypto and they're mm -hmm. always lumped in the same umbrella. And, and it's one of my frustrations. Like when I go on uh, on TV, they'll like have all the tickers, right? They'll have Bitcoin and a couple of the other coins. And and I and I'm talking about things that are so different, like I'm talking about solutions and, and problems that these other tokens can't fix and aren't trying to fix. Right. They're trying to do they're trying to do other things in the in the tech space. Uh, I just I, I just don't want people to lose their money, especially young 
young people that are trying to get ahead and using crypto as a means to like try to find finally afford the ability to get a house or you know pay off their school debt or you know start a family i don't want them going to the casino essentially because that's what i see a lot of these tokens as and and you can look back over the years like which coins are still in existence some of them go to a lot of them go to zero you know i don't want people to lose their money and i i feel like you know it's it's up to you i believe in freedom and free markets if you want to invest in some coin because you think it's going to get um, you know go, go a million percent up i wish you luck and i hope you take those profits at the right time time the market and buy bitcoin smash that into bitcoin <laughs> but like i don't want to speculate and and this is one of the big things too the last thing i'll say about this I feel like we are even in this environment where people feel the need to trade or you know get on Robinhood and become like options traders when they have no experience in stocks. Um, it's it's because we've financialized everything oh, yeah. to the point where you can't put your money in the bank. We don't have a safe store of value where you could just like set it and forget it, take your money that you earned in whatever job, being an accountant, a doctor, a podcast host, whatever, put it in the bank and watch it go up in value or at least maintain its value over time. You literally have to risk it. You have to become a real estate investor. You have to become a stock trader. You have to go into crypto. And it's like everyone's so desperate to try to hold on to the value of their money or get rich through these like schemes. Yeah. And that's sad. Like what if we had a money that you couldn't inflate so the value just went up over time and you didn't have to worry so much you could literally just like oh stocks cool like if i want equity in a company i'll invest because i believe in that company not because there's a bunch of easy money going in and the, the company's buying their stock back and the stock's going up even though the company's worthless it's half our companies are zombie companies like we don't have to live in a world like that you know I, I don't know if you've ever seen those videos where uh, guys will go do man on the street things and go up to Christians and say, hey, I'd like to read you a quote from the Quran and get your thoughts on it. But then they actually read them a Bible quote and the guy will, you know, they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's terrible. Like they shouldn't. And he's like, I'm actually reading from the Bible. <laughs> what reminds me of that is I feel like you could describe the stock market and be like, hey, I'm describing Bitcoin. What if, you know, what if you could put your money in something that's like very questionable and run by shady figures mm-hmm. and subject to all yeah. kinds of manipulation and stuff? Because as much as I like to think that um, having a, an, a government oversight is great, look at what just happened with, I don't know if you saw this HKD stock that went from, it was this Hong Kong based IPO that went from like 20 bucks to fucking 2000. Mm. It's like, our system is also the the supposedly safe one is also rife with <clears throat> corruption wow. oh, and yeah. yeah. But I have to say, I hate that. Not believing in Bitcoin does not mean you believe in the absolutely. And it sometimes feels like you know you're sitting on a bike and it's got two flat tires and someone's like, "Hey, why don't you check this bike out?" Well, it's it got goes- no fucking handlebar. The chain's all <laughs> fucked up, and you're like, "Well, I mean, I feel like I could just put some air in these and." They're like, no, 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 that thing's a piece of shit. Look at how fucked up it is. But I, and I think what you're saying is people have this money that they're sitting on and want to get rich. They want to put it into something and they've been told to just like put it in. And I mean, historically, if you do dollar cost average into um, just like ETFs and mm-hmm. the, the whatever yeah. funds, right? over time, you're going to be okay unless you invest in, in like the stagnant... Uh, what the from like 1968 to whenever where the market essentially did nothing or japan from like 1980s until now you're essentially break even um yeah i i i see what you're saying and i mean 
<laughs> well, we... it's a, I mean, it's a huge issue, right? Because yeah. a lot of these companies um, and a lot of them have been driven by, you know, technology. They had really easy access to capital because when the government's just printing money and we have these like this quantitative easing environment, it's very easy for these companies to get valued at a lot of money, even though they're not producing a lot or generating revenue. Right. But you get to a certain point where that's really not sustainable and these stocks get so overvalued and, and it's a bubble and the executives have cashed out on their stock buybacks. And so now how does the average person get into the stock market, especially young people that are trying to accumulate assets? It's really increasingly difficult. It, again, like creates this divide of the, the haves and the have-nots. It balloons our wealth inequality. It destroys the middle class and the average laborer who's dollars are just losing purchasing power. And if you look at the S&P, one of the things I, I share in my education like webinars and seminars is that the S&P 500 used to, I mean, the, the values of the stocks, it's like the, the tech stocks balloon in terms of just how much they're valued, but they, but they take up like 2% of our GDP and employment. You know, so it's like it's just it's fluff, it's excess, and we've been in this secular bull market for forty years, where we're feeling the pain now because they have to drain the liquidity, they have to pop the bubble, but they have to be so careful because the bubble's so leveraged and there's so much debt. If they pop it too harshly, then they're going to send everything cascading down, and it's going to be a def deflationary bust, and everyone's going to lose their jobs, and there's going to be defaults left and right. So, like. What do they have to do? They have to like keep it propped up, suppress interest rates. I mean, this is where it's all going, right? Like, where is this all going? They're gonna lower interest rates eventually. We don't know when, but like they have to in order to service debt because otherwise our country's gonna go bankrupt and no one's gonna want our treasuries. And the the equities will again go up again. We're gonna create a bigger balloon. It's gonna create more wealth concentration. Like, what's the end game? It's like, what's the, the end point? Landing, that's Natalie. called it's, uh, that's okay. the, so my they soft put landing. It all in Bitcoin. My soft <laughs> landing is Bitcoin. That's exactly what Bitcoin. Bitcoin is that's perfect. That's what my next tweet is going to be. Bitcoin is your soft landing yeah. for when this fiat system comes crashing down and the bubble finally bursts and the music stops playing because Russia and China are already like, yo, you guys are printing too much. We don't trust it. We're going to store a bunch of gold. We're going to create our own digital currencies and our own uh, SWIFT networks. Where is this going, people? Just think about like 10, 20, 100 years down the road Impossible. and the only thing i can count on is math and bitcoin <laughs> yeah the ocean is boiling it's uh it's 100 years from now your bitcoin skyrocketed <laughs> you have beachfront property in ohio uh no wait that's actually a great i do be i do want to make sure we don't miss this point because i gotta know is this is this uh real or is this just fud we've all seen the new yorker story last year about how you know Bitcoin and crypto are destroying the environment, I'm right? Fucking zap you, dude. Um, keep them on, and uh, but then I, and I can't really get a real because you know crypto people are like this is all bullshit. They don't understand whatever, but you know they have these um, fun graphics and facts that you see tweeted out about how you know crypto uses more energy than you know Finland or something like that. Uh, so what's the deal there? Yeah, so this is actually an area where I'm I'm spending a lot of time studying. I'm reading a book called Fossil Future by Alex Epstein, which I, I recommend to people. Bitcoin actually right now is driving both investment and innovation uh, into renewable energy and wasted stranded energy. So I didn't know this uh, actually, but 
about a third of energy around the world is stranded or wasted. It doesn't go anywhere because we don't have the infrastructure to transport it, right? So it just gets wasted. The great thing about Bitcoin is Bitcoin miners can meet energy where it's at, at its source. And so they can actually capture energy that would have been stranded. And one of the, the one of the things that they capture is methane, which is actually four times worse for the environment than carbon dioxide. So it's actually creating more emission-free uh, energy or using emission-free energy in order to mine. You can use hydro, you can use nuclear, you can use um, fossil, you can use uh, the stuff that's strand stranded. Yeah, methane is How do four they times. Use meth California? They literally have the, so oil fields like they'll release. They have stranded nat or natural gas. Like methane gets gets basically wasted and flared. They flare it. Right. So Bitcoin miners can go to that location, hook up generators, and literally capture the stranded methane. Are they so actually not, doing that? Yes. Yes, okay. like all over the country, especially in Texas, there are some great people doing it. So again, it's actually driving more towards the renewable and ch and um, and emission-free energy because it's also the most cost-effective. Bitcoin miners are trying to find the cheapest energy, and they go wherever around the world that it's cheapest. So if you're using, like, you're not going to hook up a miner here because it would be too expensive using our our grid. It would probably be like you have to try to get under 14 cents a kilowatt hour, and that's. Oh, almost impossible in places that are urban like like LA. They try to go to places where it's cheaper. They try to find stranded energy. They use solar. They use wind. They use all these renewable sources. They use volcanoes in El Salvador. It's really incredible. There is so much FUD. And I think that people should be very careful with what they're hearing about these ESG narratives because a lot of it is just- Be careful once, about the ESG narrative. Yeah. Once again, it's like sending money to these big corporations. Uh, you know, Right now, tur wind turbines for wind energy and- uh, what is ESG narrative just for ESG uh, is environmental social governance and it's okay. basically the the government saying we're going to allocate money to these projects we're going to pick winners and losers it's crony capitalism in my opinion because they've deemed it to be you know uh, global warming friendly emission free whatnot but it's but it's misleading because again they're picking companies that don't have you know sustainable business models basically they're going to pick someone that just says oh, i have an idea for you know an esg project they're going to funnel a bunch of taxpayer money to them and then the, the company could go under you know two years later and the thing is is we don't have right now the technology to go emission free as quickly as they're claiming to to do by 2030 uh, is what i think kamala harris said last we literally don't have the technology infrastructure around the world renewable energy makes up for three percent three percent of energy everything else right now is a mix of fossil and different types. We've demonetized uh, nuclear, which is emission free, but for whatever reason, there's been so much FUD that it's dangerous radiation. And also there are also 3 billion people around the world who have no access to electricity. So you're going to tell, you're going to say that those people who don't have access to cheap fossil fuels, now somehow we're going to get wind and solar to all of them. Like it's literally impossible. And there are so many people, politicians out there with no climate science or energy background that are speaking things that are impossible. Like, so you just have to be careful. But that being said, Bitcoin is actually helping renewable energy. So it may be more energy expensive, but they're investing more into renewable. Right. And so this is the question you have to ask, right? Is energy consumption bad if there's no emissions? Right? Like, like we've, we've, 
made made a moral issue out of using energy. Like we all we're here because we use energy. You have lights that use energy. You have cameras that use energy. We eat and like the things that created our food use energy. To create a wind turbine uses a ton of fossil fuels and is made in China actually, which uses more fossil fuels than any any country. Like we moralize things for political narratives that are ridiculous. But I don't think Every, Bitcoin is fully like using renewable energy. More than fifty percent. Right more than fifty. Yeah, it's more than it's more than most industries in terms of what's renewable. I yeah. gotta call the New Yorker. Yeah, they're in trouble. Well, and and it's funny because in Fossil Future, which I'm I'm reading right now, just about the fossil fuel industry, about energy in general, it talks about how these same scientists that basically are our knowledge experts go to the media, the politicians, they have been predicting global disaster since the 1970s and 1980s, saying, oh, by 94. The, it's going to be over. Like we're all going to be living in these like greenhouse shelters because the 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 climate will be destroyed. It's false. It's fud, and it's ex- extremely Wait, what's misleading. What's false? Global warming? No, global warming is uh. not false. I'm saying these like really dr- dramatized, catastrophized predictions. We've had oh, them literally it's since the we're 1970s. We're seeing you know once in a century uh, climate events happen. We are weekly. definitely seeing. We're seeing global- like big parts of the arctic shelf just fall off and and i never said we're not seeing that what i'm saying is that these a lot of these climate scientists are predicting literally end of world catastrophes within five ten years which have not come to pass including things about bitcoin Hmm. okay we uh damn Y'all went off there. You guys just were like on it, and I'm just. It's a really fascinating area to study energy. You know, I'm trying to become a no coin pussy, and I can't. I can't get on board if uh, it's going to burn the planet alive. Our new currency. Why would anyone want to get on board with something that's going to destroy the planet? To make money real quick. Not not us. Not us Bitcoiners. I I like the idea of them using what would otherwise get sent up in the atmosphere, which would you know, yes, hurt global warming, exacerbate it. Yeah. I'm 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 operating at like 70% today. So I really <laughs> he says apologize. This every episode. That's not true. <laughs> and I do apologize to the listeners and the viewers cuz sometimes brain just not working, you know? I was out late. I oh man. Why anyway, out late on a morning you got to I just cuz I, you know, sometimes I right, just well, can't. Well, so anyway, yeah. <laughs> I I would love to learn more about what exactly that technology um Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, what it how does. You, how the fuck do you like? Yeah. Why don't we? Why don't we do that? Not for just um uh mining Bitcoin, but for like you know recycling Everything. that shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's where I, get the nerds on this. You guys, this is what a lot of big oil companies are doing right now, and they're not disclosing it, but they're doing it in oil fields, natural gas, like they're to mine Bitcoin. Yes. No yes, shit. Yes. Wait, oil companies are mining Bitcoin. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh, you can. Some of them are starting to go public. But there are a lot that have not disclosed this publicly. It's happening all over the U.S. You're telling and me Big Oil is going to own a Exxon, bunch of Bitcoin? Like Google it right now. Exxon, whatever. They are mining Bitcoin. They, thank you. <laughs> and why it's risky business. Of all the kinds of... Uh-oh, it's risky business. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. There's so much word. Canoco Phillips, which is one of the biggest oil so, companies. But so what does that mean practically? Is that Are they going to own a bunch of Bitcoin yeah. now? Is that just going to be another Bitcoin whale that is going to... I mean, I don't know if their plans are to sell it or hold it, but that is... That's another asset that they're able to accumulate, and that is like direct accumulate. You're not buying it off an exchange. That is non KYC mined Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, because yeah, they are just mining. <laughs> they're mining it. Themselves. Yeah, yeah. methane isn't even more. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah, man. These these fucking oil companies figured out another way. Yeah, see, they yeah. figured out another way Whenever, to take shit from yeah, us. Yeah, so there you go. Whenever any company drills for oil, it often pushes out methane gas out of the ground. It's more potent than greenhouse gas. 
than carbon dioxide. Yeah, so it, it, you have to flare it. And, and that sucks that that's been going into the environment and how amazing that there's a piece of technology that basically represents a, 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 a savings technology that can help our environment, that people are making into something bad. So can you, can you do this without making Bitcoin? Can you flare it without making Bitcoin? Can you? Well, that's you, what they do. Can they you flare do it. But no, they have they have no they have no use for that energy. It just gets flared and wasted because there's no buyer for it. So mm-hmm. essentially, Bitcoin. That's oh. what it, like Bitcoin miners come in as a buyer of that. They're 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 taking that which would have other otherwise been wasted and flared, and they're gotcha. using it. They're transforming it into digital energy, as Michael Saylor said. Yeah, because I wonder how otherwise, what other uh, utility there would be for it. Like, what other... Exactly. What is fucking con, uh, uh, um, con Ed going to go out there and capture it and put it in a battery right. and transport it? Right. Like, yeah, I yeah. get it. Yeah, so it's... I mean, huh. it really does make you think because, like I said, I did not know prior to learning about Bitcoin that so much energy that's produced in the world is wasted or stranded because there's no infrastructure in place to either transport it or there is no buyer. And Bitcoin miners are buyers of cheap energy. So they can go anywhere in the world right. and and start to use what would have been wasted energy. So and that's incredible. And saying, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll take that off your hands. Exactly. Yeah. Take that and the gas. cheaper it is, the more money they'll make on the mining as Bitcoin goes up in price. So it's really actually it's really incredible. It's going to it's going to transform, I believe, our energy industries. I apologize in advance for this, but they should just uh, say it. feed me a bunch of beans it. and plug it right into my ass. <laughs> Turn me into a Don't Bitcoin laugh. miner. <laughs> it just encourages them. <laughs> yeah. This is what you signed up for. And on that note, we should end it there. We're over. We're at our oh. we're at our mark, baby. All right. I'll let you do it since my brain's not working. No, you do I'm it. I'm just a happy, you know, I'm on Joe Biden mode. If we don't- Soda! <laughs> Sorry about him. <laughs> this is not a beer, it's a water. It's not a beer, you guys. I think some beer got into Ben's. Wow, I can't believe you're drinking beer at nine in the morning. Jesus <laughs> yeah, Christ. It's a scary water can. A scary boy. Yeah, you've never liquid heard of liquid death? death? No. Wow. Thank you, though. You're so consumed by Bitcoin that you- uh, you you haven't noticed that this is a powerhouse of I a... drink liquid energy, which is Bitcoin, digital liquid <laughs> Wait, what the fuck? <laughs> Wait, what? Is there a Bitcoin energy drink? No, but there should be. You should create it. All right, I'll, I'll No, get no, into we're going to do it. It was our idea. <laughs> uh, any ideas we come up with on the show are ours. We own it. And uh, you'll hear from our lawyers if we see a Bitcoin energy drink. Um, are you going to buy Bitcoin? Yeah, you should I'll... buy a little. Why don't you let me answer the question? <laughs> I am... D- I see it as uh, an investment and, you know, I believe it could go up and I could make some money off it. I don't know if I, I I wish we could talk more about the, you know, the, your belief in the system and how it could change lower income people's lives. Um, You know, maybe another time we could talk about that. I really love the stuff you're talking about with the environment. I'd love to hear more about that. Mm. Um, But yeah, I would, I would buy in as an investment. I don't know if I buy the whole system thing yet, but wouldn't it be wild if Bitcoin ended up actually like solving everything from uh, (laughs) poverty to, you know, uh, uh, fucking capitalism. I think I just, I can't, your your head would explode. I can't, I can't connect. There's a big leap between all our jobs are, gone just by bitcoin it's not all of our jobs are gone here's the thing though like bitcoin has the best shot at doing all like it won't fix everything it won't fix it overnight but of all the things that exist right now especially with regards to technology and where the future is going 
Bitcoin has the potential to fix the most amount of things by creating a more equal playing field, creating more inclusion on a global level to anyone in the whole world. And I want to be on that. Like, I want to fight for that team because I want the world to be a better place. I want us to be able to plan for our futures. I want it to be more of a system of meritocracy and like what goods and services do you provide? What can you innovate? What what can you invest? As opposed to what I believe is a really broken incentive system where a few people are the winners, everyone else is, you know, the losses are socialized, everyone's kind of struggling to get by and not knowing how to plan for the future. I, I will die on this hill fighting for this because I think that Bitcoin could actually make things better for all of us. I think that's the best place we could have to leave it. Yeah. Where where can people follow you and whatnot? <laughs> yeah, I'm on Twitter, very active on Twitter at Nat Brunel. My podcast is called Coin Stories. I also host a video show called Hard Money. And you can also go to talkingbitcoin.com. There you have it, folks. Hell yes. Get out there. Buy some Bitcoin. Not financial advice, but buy some Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. And uh the motto of the show, what is it? Quit your job, kill your parents, shit your pants? Kill your parents, quit your job, shit your pants. Yeah, don't don't worry. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's it's <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm not even gonna try. Anyway, you know, like, subscribe, all that stuff. Thanks, folks. Love you. Thank you. Bye. This week on After Hours. Hey guys, are you horny? Can you make your titties dance? Make your titties dance. What are those implants? Get Charlie the- Munger, die on the show challenge. He had $25 million. He had $25 like, million. That- Who the fuck is giving a 20-year-old that yeah. much money? Sign up on TMGStudios.tv to watch the full bonus episode.